Greetings, Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Billy Clift. Who's Billy? I don't know. We've been having so much fun talking before the podcast. <laughs> totally. It's like, I don't, I don't, let's not record this. We're having too much fun. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so he's here today. Say hi to my people. Hello, everyone out there. How wonderful to not see you. <laughs> <laughs> I met him because he's a director of movies, but Tell what, tell some of the other things you do. You've got an interesting. Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, you mean all the different projects that I've been doing? Or no, just all the things you've done. I mean, producing, directing, Uh, writing. When I was a kid, uh, I went to Hollywood High and I lived in Hollywood. I'm a Hollywood kid. And uh, all the people that I went to school with uh, were, their family was always in the industry. And uh, it was just kind of a normal way to live is that, I can even remember my dad asking me one day, what are you going to do? Are you going to be a director, a writer? Are you going to do this or that? There was nothing that was outside of the industry as a possibility of what I was supposed to do. Did he recognize something in you or is that was that just your family? That's what you did. I, I think it could have been a combination. Mm-hmm. It was a family. Okay. You know, like my sister's a, a Broadway actress. <laughs> uh, my brother, who's passed, was, uh, had a, a band. Uh, my uh, cousin Montgomery Clift was obviously, if you know who he was, he was mm-hmm. a pretty famous actor at one time. Uh, all my, all, all the family was involved, so it was just kind of the normal way to live. What did your father do? He was a DJ. Uh, he owned a, a radio station in Seattle, and uh, then he would come down in Los Angeles, and he would work there as well. And he would go back and forth when we were when I was. Okay, sidetracked us. So, yeah, so quite all right. We love sidetracking. Yeah, we, we're going to do that. So yeah, deal, exactly. deal with it, people. Exactly. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're so you did that. Yeah. So I, I did that, and uh, once I got out of high school, after being in probably every show that there was in school, and Hollywood High was had an amazing reputation. I mean, all the newspapers would show up to to review our plays, our shows, whatever we did, and it would always end up uh, a big splash everywhere. And it was the thing that made all the money for Hollywood High. Uh, uh, the football, uh, nobody would go and see the football shows. We used to make fun of, uh, um, the, the cheerleaders. <laughs> so it was reverse discrimination. Exactly. <laughs> we gave them, and we knew we were doing that because we wanted right. to. It was like, right. you know, you make fun of us all our whole life. We're going to make fun of you because nobody cares you're there. Right. You know? <laughs> wow. And, uh, uh, when I got out of high school, I tried to become an actor and I had a lot of problems because I was just, I just looked too old. I looked 27 when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And even, uh, so what I did do is I did go into modeling. And even then, they put me down as the dad. No They would put me in suits and I'd sit there and they'd bring in a little kid and put him on my lap. Or, you know, because I looked like an older guy at the time compared to what I was. So I gave up at 20 and went to hair school. And uh, uh, once I got out of hair school, I ended up working at a salon called Menage a Trois in Beverly Hills, because I figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go to the most exclusive place in this in the all of Los Angeles, and I'm going to get a job. And I walked in, and I got a job. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it was soon after that that I started doing celebrities. And I would go, and then I quit doing it the, at the salon because I could make more money going to their homes and charge them a lot more individually. Right. As well as it was a lot more fun. I didn't like working with other hairdressers because there's it's a whole different kind of world anyway. <laughs> a lot of like a lot of competition or there's, what? It's more like they just really like to get all gossipy. Oh. And uh I'm not I I yeah, I can get into gossip to a degree, but not that kind, you know? Right. It's not the same kind. And so I didn't really want uh, like that that whole world that they lived in. But I loved doing what I did. I really enjoyed being a hair and makeup artist, and I love people. And uh, I, uh, it, it, I did that for many, many years. I was a hair and makeup artist until um, uh, what kind of changed everything is when Elizabeth Montgomery, who was one of my main clients, passed away in 1995. And it really did make me look at the world and what do I really, really want to do. Uh, so I... So you, did you have a life is really short moment? I did about that stuff. I did. It was it was very impactful. You know, somebody else's death can truly change the way right. you look at the world. Right. And uh, she definitely was definitely a, a major uh, change. She made me look at everything differently. She was an amazing woman, by the way. She was um, kind and caring and silly and fun and crazy. And and we'd go out and. 
you know, happily get drunk and be silly, you know, and, and just, 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 it was, I felt a better human being knowing this other wow. human being. How, how long did you work with her? I worked with her from about 2000, excuse me, 1981 until 1995. Wow. So, and I was only 21 years old and she didn't even think, I don't think she even <laughs> knew that I was that young. Really? You know, because I think, I think if she had known that I was only 21 and I was starting to do her hair and makeup, she might've been like, oh, well, this is a little, you know, odd, you know? <laughs> Does he know what he's doing? <laughs> yeah, really. Does but I, I remember uh, meeting her for the first time and going to her house in, in Beverly Hills. And it's one of those places with, you can't see the house from the street and you, you buzz it and there's the huge black gate and then it opens and you drive and then you see the tennis courts and then you saw the, sw- the Olympic side swimming pool. Then finally come up to the house, which was built by Howard Hawks in like 1927. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. He had seen a, 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 a house in England that he wanted. And so he had his architect go there and duplicate it here. And it was all uh, olive uh, fields and uh, at the time. All there were were olive trees everywhere. There was not uh, Beverly Hills was hardly here. And uh, um, going and coming into the house and... And going into being taken into a den, everything very English tutor, completely to the max, and her coming out and just looking at me from head to toe, and she just, mm. head to toe, and just putting her hands out. Hi, I'm Liz. You know, <laughs> and I, I, and it was just immediate that we wow. just like had a connection. Huh. And uh, I started working with her until she passed in 1995. Uh, we did a last TV movie. Um, uh, she was ill on set. Uh, kept her going through it. Uh, she went to the hospital the day after we sh- we uh, finished shooting, and she didn't come out. Wow! So uh, it changed my life in, a, in in many many ways, and I would say good ways. It was it, oh. uh, uh, it. I moved to San Francisco because I just wanted to like release myself from the business in general. Right. And uh, I went up there and I started working. As a hair and makeup person for print work and magazines, whatever that they had. I worked for like Macy's and Mervyn's and whatever, you know, and it was, it was good. It was really, really good. I was able to go up there and I met my partner up there. And uh, then I became very ill with AIDS in 2000, which I actually was HIV for many, many years, but I did not have any symptoms until 2000, all of a sudden. Mm. Uh, and, uh, ended up in the hospital and I had six major, uh, illnesses that could have killed me to where I was even sent home to die. Wow. And it was expected that I was going to, and I made a decision. I remember one morning I'm going, okay, universe, whatever, what do I do? I'm going to die good or I'm going to live good. And just a feeling came over of contentment and a kind of a sweetness. And I said, okay, I'm going to take that as I'm going to live. So wow. the hospital, the doctor actually had called to find out if I'd passed yet. Wow. And instead, I got on the phone. And I he said, I'm going bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. Now, <laughs> and uh, I told them, in a, and I could hardly speak at the time, and I said, what you're going to do is you're going to put me back in the hospital and you're going to listen to me of what I need. And if you do that, I can get better. And they said, yes. They listened to you. They listened to me. And wow. they also changed my doctor. And I had this one woman come in, a beautiful, she was bald, this cool kind of, you know, earthy kind of San Francisco woman. Right. And she was spectacular. And she sat down, I remember right away, she says, tell me everything you want us to do to help you. Wow. And she did. How undoctor like Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So she had taken the Godhead off, huh? Exactly. Wow. And she really was. She says, I think now you may know more than what we know because what we did didn't work. Right. So what did you have them do? Just curious. Uh, I told her that we had to take each problem that I had at one at a time. I said, really, what you're doing, what you were doing, you were trying to kill everything at once and you were killing me. So we need to take all right, we've got this skin problem or we've got this problem and we're just start attacking each one individually so that the whole body isn't being attacked to such uh, a high density. And she listened 
And she did that. And I came out. I was actually out quicker than they ever thought I was. I think a month I stayed in the hospital, which I'd already spent in the hospital many, many, many months. And uh, it took me many years, actually, though, to actually come back into my body. It almost felt like I was out of my body. It took about five or six years. And I even remember the moment when it felt like everything, it was like everything was kind of off. And then finally, it seemed like it came together as one clear moment. And I remember it so clearly because all of a sudden, I could I could figure out what I wanted to do or who I was or where I was going. Oh. And I said, I'm going to do this, which is what I'm doing. I want to direct. I want to write. And I want to see if I can do that. I do not want to have any regrets ever in my life. Wow. And so uh, my first feature was uh, Baby Jane, which was a silly, ridiculous movie camp movie but i knew it was something i had uh had met a whole right. whole group of amazing actors who could do something like this and i i remember i saw a play in uh, san francisco where i was living and it was uh, christmas with the crawfords which is actually going to be here in san in um palm springs this christmas really and i must see i'm going to come out and see it because friends of mine uh wrote it and uh uh there was a, a person who was playing uh, Baby Jane as um, uh, the maid of Joan Crawford. And it's all based on Joan Crawford's night where she did the Christmas uh, interview over the radio with uh, the, her kids. And But in, the mo- in this play, uh, people accidentally come by who are in the neighborhood for a Christmas party and they knock on the door and all of a sudden it's Ethel Merlin and she comes in and they start singing a big number or it's Judy Garland or it's, wow. you know, it's totally ridiculous. But the maid is Baby Jane. So it's, you know, what do you want? Blah, you know, that whole thing. And so this person was so amazing, Matthew Martin, that I, I went, wouldn't it be ridiculous if somebody did a movie about this? And all of a sudden I just started thinking about it. I said, well, why don't I be the ridiculous person to do this? And uh, I did it. We filmed it uh, in in San Francisco for practically no money whatsoever. Wait, so you saw the play uh-huh. and said, let's do a movie. Let's do a movie. How do, you, so, how do you get the rights to do something like that? I'm well, afraid. there is parody law. Because it's a parody of whatever happened to Baby Jane, uh, I did... Uh, what I really searched in it, and it's what they do like on SNL. Okay. So you could see them all dressed exactly the way the actors are on SNL for a particular movie. Uh-huh. And they may even say some of the exact same kind of lines. But as long as you say you go off in an obvious comedic way, then you can get away with anything. Really? So you can go, but you're oblet, you're on that chair, as long as you then have a silly thing to remark afterwards. And so we got all these amazing actors. Uh, costumes were made by a, a local so that they were accurate. Uh, we made sets so that they were accurate. All for nothing. You know, just a lot of people who got together and had a lot of fun. Wow. And uh, fortunately, it came out. And I got some of, well, to start off, I got some of the worst reviews you could ever imagine. And then one night at a screening, um, Variety came. And they gave me the most amazing review of my life. Like, wow. as if I paid them. Would you please give me a good review? <laughs> so how much did you pay them? No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, that changed everything. It also gave me the understanding that actually I did do something interesting. Because so what it, I made, did, it made you legit. It made me legit. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I had a review by Fangoria, which is very important in the horror world they thought it was terrible they re-reviewed it after the variety uh, uh, review and said we didn't look at it correctly oh and the thing i did with baby jane is what they expected and people came to it and why they didn't like it is because they thought it was going to be camp from beginning to end and i didn't do that i did make it a comedy but i made it dark and as as like in the middle of the movie it just started shifting into being very real you actually started to care about baby Jane and what she'd been, you know, I mean, her sister did this all to her yeah, well, in many what ways. What made her that way. Exactly. Yeah. And all of, I wanted people to start see, seeing it from a different perspective than just, you know, 
her being the terrible, terrible sister. Right. And I wanted to show a little bit more that both of them were terrible, terrible people, <laughs> you know, playing right. this stupid game. Right. And it worked really well. That was my first film that came out in 2011. And, uh, well, I haven't stopped since. I knew that I had to move back to Los Angeles because you really need to be in that world. You need to, you need to be at a fingertip and you need people to be, start seeing you and seeing that you're legitimate and that you're always showing up to things. So I'd, I would go to everything, you know, and I'd just start meeting people. And the more you started seeing them or they saw you, they would start starting to talk to you. Oh, you're here again. Oh, you're here again. Right. And you're not weird. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of like a normal person. Wait, you know? well, how did you pull that one? I know that was a difficult one, but I'm a good actor. <laughs> All right. So in spite of you looking older than you are, you're still a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness I should hope that at some point I started the age-wise, right. started changing that a little bit, at least looking more like my age right. as opposed to looking older than I am, I hope. <laughs> oh. So uh, from there, uh, you know, this is what I've done and I've continued to work so hard and I love this. I love doing this so much and I've really focused a lot on uh, doing films about uh, important things that are happening in the world. Um, uh, you, as you came to uh, opening night of uh, Cinema Diverse, right. uh, as you came to opening night, Cinema Diverse, here we are. Other night, yes, here we are. Yeah. It was uh, something that I really felt very, uh, that was very important to tell and to show. And that I really feel that a lot of people can relate to these different characters in many different ways. Um, it, it, film can change people's perspectives. Mm. It, can, it can shift people. And in my little way, if I can help in any way whatsoever, whether you're being gay or black or lesbian or bi or, you know, uh, my television series... Not so straight in Silver Lake is is kind of like uh, you know it's a it's got like the mother and all her kids in a way not really but Calpurnia Adams plays the older woman who's kind of taken in all these misfits so to speak you know one one is trans they're not misfits but it's like people who couldn't find a family right and she creates a family which is very common in our in the gay world in the community yeah because we needed to create where most people were thrown out it's often. Right. They or they don't have a relationship anymore with their family or they don't. And uh so we create our own families. And this is what this little family was of uh, is in in not so straight in Silver Lake. Um uh, Calpurnia Daniel Franzese from from Looking and Mean Girls is one of the stars. We've got a wonderful wonderful ensemble cast and they're all different. Charlie Harding, which you know who's local here in mm -hmm. Springs, he plays a young guy who's bipolar, which is what he is. And I thought, we, we have, oh. got, we've got so much stuff around all of that. And I said, the more that we see it as being real and how they live it and the way they deal with it, it, it will change our perception because it no longer is something, it's not, no longer mysterious. Like, oh, so you, if you, you, you stay on your meds and you become aware of how you react then you can assist in being living a normal life, so to speak. Right. Whatever normal is. <laughs> normal is overrated. Come on. It sure is. Because I'm not normal. I don't want to be normal. How about you? <laughs> uh, no, I am not normal. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. Look what I'm doing here. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. I should be on a beach somewhere. <laughs> but this is what, what you love to do. Yeah, it's true. So yeah. for you, this is. Normal, I guess we yeah. could call it. Talk a little about here we are. Why did you make that movie? It was kind of a wonderful thing that happened. Is that Mel England and Will J. Jackson, who are the stars right. of Here We Are, came to me. They had written a short film, and they knew of me and wanted to see if I'd be interested in directing this piece because they knew that they needed a, a director that they felt. Could understand. Could handle it. Yeah. yeah. Could handle it. Yeah. I came, I read the script. It was a good script. 
And uh, I think I did like say, I did feel that it needed a little bit of shifting, a little kind of working out, a little tweaking. And I asked if they'd mind if I kind of went in and just kind of, one of the biggest things that I want to do is to make sure continuity is clear. Because there's nothing worse than a film when continuity all of a sudden, well, what did they say? And why did that happen? And where are they now? And you where'd know? that character go? Exactly, exactly. I cared about him. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> and that's really, really important, yeah. you know? And sometimes when people are writing a script, they kind of lose vision. And they just need someone to do that, right. you know? So uh, I kind of played with it a little bit. And then we shot it. We shot the short. We shot and and and, and you. There were uh, quite a few scenes in the movie from the short. So when what's the time frame on that? The short. Uh, two thousand eighteen. Okay, so I recent. Think. Yeah, it was it was recent. It was either two thousand yes, and then we went in and after I finished shooting it, I I looked at them and I said, you know what. This is really, really important and poignant information. You could flesh it out and make it we, into a, yes. a feature. This yeah. easily yeah. should be a feature. Yeah. And they all like talked about it on their in their own and they came back to me and said, You're right. He said, I, I would really like to come on board though as a co writer on this and really expand. And they were both agreed, like, I totally agree. This is fantastic. So we started writing the feature. And we did even before covid we wrote a full feature film so break that down a little bit how so they're here where now where is everybody when you're doing this you're all in la uh no uh well will lives in los angeles and mel lives here okay and you're in la yes so when you say you wrote it together how do you do that uh you're, what you could it's do, covid and you're spread out how do you do it exactly and what i typically do is i grab the script and i have a pass on it and then i send it back to mel And then he would have a pass on it. And so we would just kind of start like uh, smoothing things out or filling things out. And so it was great because we had, uh, and then we'd discuss it on the phone. Like, what if we have a scene about this? Because this might flesh this whole thing out. Uh, Just like the, the, the last big thing that we did was the mother scene. I think it's the last thing that we shot. One of the best things. Yeah. And it was just like, I was saying, there's something missing here. I said, we need something about this. We've got the funeral. Which mother scene? The The mother with the letter. Oh, the letter. Because also in the church, though, is the important moment. Yes, it was. It was. That was in the original short. Okay. So that had already been, been filmed. So now we're going actually after COVID to shoot that particular scene was after COVID. Okay. So we had to see whether this actress was still around or whether she could still be in it. And thank goodness she was still acting and, and we were able to pull her in and we shot that scene. And I, I feel it's pretty seamless. You wouldn't know that that was well, four the, years later. Right. And <laughs> and at the when you were showing it on the big screen the other night, you talked about where you shot that, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, yes. It was uh, truly a room no bigger than this. This is, but just, your, you um, can't see it. It's about a 10 by 11 room we're in. Exactly. And imagine the door is over here and that whole wall is filled with equipment. And a mess. Right. I mean, not even, you know, like, because we've been working, and right. when we're working, we tend to just put things back, right. but they don't look exactly the way they should. And so then it's like- So we're not going to show that. No. So we have one wall that's plain, right. which we also, there's a, a day bed over here, there's a coffee table, there's all this kind of stuff on this wall, typically. Oh, that had to be all picked out. And then it was like, okay, now how are we going to create, and what does this room look like, and where with it, where are they? And I immediately, well, it's pretty basic. I bet we can make it look like it might be in the dining room and she's set her some of her chairs against the wall because she had people over. And this is at the end of the party, party, the wake or whatever you call it, after the funeral. Well, yeah, I, I thought I saw it as you were in an entry with a couple of chairs sitting there. Totally. Against a wall, it could be. Yeah, so that you totally can, would work. I can imagine where you are. Yes, I, you can be wherever you are, but I just figured right. that it would work as some place where, yeah, where chairs were just kind of put against the wall because a bunch of people were coming. Right. And uh, uh, she even makes it, she made a plate for her and she sits down. She says, thank God I didn't want all those people to come to the funeral, but well, finally they're all gone from here. So that, we, that tied back in because when I watched the first scene at the church, I wondered, where is everybody? Now that explained it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Good job. And uh, 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 
to to note, uh, we actually you didn't want to hire all those extras. Come on. Actually, what happened <laughs> was is that uh, we, if I remember correctly, because this was like 2018, I believe we had to change the date, and we had more people coming, and they couldn't change with the date that we had to change. So we couldn't get it. And so then we just went, all right, we'll just write in somewhere that uh, they didn't want Why? to have a big uh, uh, funeral. Well, and it's like a wedding. Some people want a tiny wedding and then everybody can come to the reception. Exactly. exactly. And so we made it very, you know, it was great. That was right. basically the first thing she says is, oh, thank God I didn't want to have all those people there. I right. totally understand it. And we didn't have a coffin either because uh, they didn't want one. That was in our head because the reality is we couldn't find one and we couldn't afford to rent one. But <laughs> well, a lot of memorial services don't have they one. don't have that anymore. Yeah. So and that's what we stated, you know, trying to figure out the how the scene should work, and and I think it worked beautifully. And it was it's a, a LGBT it's church in Los Feliz, okay. and they were very happy to have us come and film there. And even in the wedding, the the head preacher of that church was in the wedding party, which was very sweet. Oh, cool. A lovely older gentleman, gay gentleman. So getting back to uh, here we are. So what what was your hope and when people see that? What what do you hope changes in them from seeing that movie? I, I just hope more compassion. Maybe a little, a, a bit of light will shine in their perspective on other people and what they're going through. I, I think that, you know, the whole uh, black and white issue that we have in our country is so complicated, but yet if we can just get real about that they're, that we're all just human beings on this planet, we're all related, right, in the big picture of things. We, we were brought up differently, so we'll have a different perspective on things, but we can respect each other for those things. And I just, I just, I just want people to s stop all the nonsense, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's going to change. If, if, if we can change the nonsense, then it assists the other person to change in their nonsense. And and it's 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 just the Will Jackson actually talked about it really nicely about uh, it on um, uh, Friday when we were in the Q and A on the Q and A is just that if we can check ourselves because we have so much information in our brain going all the way from the beginning of time in our family and what we've been told how we should look at the world mm -hmm. and a lot of that isn't real it's all made up a lot of it is just made up stuff told to us because that's their perspective. And they're doing basically the same thing as well. They were told something, it went in, they held on to it, and they repeated it. And if we as individuals can take a moment and stop and go, where did that come from? Is that really valid? Right. Is that really how we want to see the world? Is that how we want to show up in the world? Right. Then we can start shifting it one person at a time. And before you said that, I was thinking, and, th and this is, I think is the problem because some, some of what we grow up in, in these systems, which I had, you know, we talked about that right. before Pentecostal or Baptocostal, right. <laughs> but the, the issue is it's not okay to question. Right. That's the issue. So you have to get beyond and, and say, it is okay to question. It, and uh, then, what you're talking about can happen. Exactly. And if you think you can't question it, then you're stuck. And that's the sad thing they tell you, right? Right. Is they all tell you that don't question what God it's, says. It's part of, pre, it's part, well, whether it's God or whatever, it could be political, it could be anything. Right. But it keeps you encapsulated in that. Yeah. And, and you can't step out of it. And then you question yourself whether you question, you know, <laughs> like I'm bad, I'm questioning. He's right. telling me the truth. I must take that as the right. truth. I think the most important thing as a human being is we need to stop and question, is this a sound situation going on here? Are these sound people trying to tell me what they think the world is and how we should behave? I think that what we need to do, we were given, let's say, this common sense. I mean, it's shocking to me that so many people do not use that. Um, but... Going back to here we are. I just hope that maybe 
somebody, it may just kind of chisel away at something and make an, an assist in them looking at things a little differently. You know, anything, you know, I, I, it's very important. As I said, right now, I'm making things that are poignant. Now that doesn't mean that I don't want to do completely something silly. I mean, I have my news uh, a show called the lair Hollywood, which will be coming out in 2024 and uh, January it'll be released. Uh, and we shot that here in Palm Springs. That's where one of the places where I met you, I right. met you a little bit before that, but you came on the set. Right. And, uh, uh, it's completely ridiculous. There is no reason for anything important in this. This is about vampires and and how much he loves his boys and he titillates with them and then he bites them and makes them bleed. <laughs> it's, it's Basically, the whole show is about him against the werewolves because the werewolves have taken over Los Angeles. And so he was asked by the Ancient Ones to come back, wake up, because he's been in... I don't know what you call it. He's been asleep since right. the 20s. So he we used, comes, we used to call it dead. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a vampire, so I, right. okay. I don't think he can ever die. You know, you get a pass on that. Right, right. He gets a pass on this one. He's been, uh, he's been alive for, I had, you know, which was really fun is to have to sit there and make up this world. Right. Because I said, okay, you're giving me this project to do. You want me to do this. Now, what do I have to do? What, what, do I have to do from the original series, The Lair? What do I have to take from that? They said, nothing. <laughs> they said, the only thing you have to do is make it sexy like The Lair was. Because you'd have a room in The Lair where they had this red room where all these guys naked were having sex. I said, so, okay, that's, I know it's shocking. Shock, it really, really is shocking. Oh my and, God. you know, it was quite a challenge for me to participate in watching or or directing these fine young gentlemen and doing things like that. But, <laughs> so uh, uh, it was really, really uh, fun to do something this silly. Right. That, even though I must admit, I did throw in a little bit of politics and and the 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 lead vampire does have a point of view of why he doesn't think there's anything wrong with being, he's a vampire and he doesn't think there's anything wrong with killing people. Cause he's just looking around. He says, they're just all, they're like little play things. You play with them for a little while and then you bite their neck and drain their blood. What? I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. I was, this is what I do. <laughs> you should go to politics. <laughs> It was very fun to like, like think about that is like not necessarily look at him as a bad being. He's just doing what happened to him and what he does. Right. You know? And, um, I think he's going to be likable. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely quite good. I was going to say, have you seen Amrus come out? Yeah. yeah. Amrus Cooper, <laughs> uh, naked, excuse me. This is not a bad thing. Wait, was he naked? Because he wasn't on the set I was, when I was there then. No, he wasn't uh, uh, was there. He? Uh, yes, he was, but he did wear a sock in one big scene with the lead werewolf. Okay. And so we saw a lot of, it looked like he was completely naked from the side and, right. and from the back. So he had one sock on one foot and that's it? That's, <laughs> and it was amazing how it covered up his dick. <laughs> that's how long it was. But- Hummel, hummel. Yeah, you're, no, it, you're it, gonna, you're gonna like listeners. You'll like looking at us. He's, he's <laughs> worth looking at. Let's put it that way. He is, he, and he's a lovely guy. He, he's, he's a great guy. He yeah. really, really is. And and actually, uh, as I told you earlier, that we have a a bunch of possible projects coming up um, uh, together, and uh, um, from a show called Trophy Boys to uh, a feature film called Pretty Talk, which I'm very, very excited about. Wait, did you do, tr I saw a short on Trophy Boys. Did you do that? No, I did not. Okay. But they've come come to me so to come be part of it as a gonna... series, as TV series. Okay, cool. That'll be very cool. Yeah, that's not uh, all solid yet, but it it uh, it's moving towards a really good possibility. Oh, when, very I, when I saw that, I wanted to see more. I, I wanted to see Don't more. you agree? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and he was really good at that. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. And I like the way it was shot. I like the way it was filmed. It, it definitely fits my um, whole sensibility. Huh. Uh, so I'm excited and the new scripts are, are really fun. Now you're not writing that, right? I will be writing a few of the episodes. Oh, you will. They asked me to, to write so some. So you're going to write some and direct? 
Though. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I, they're they're actually having me as a uh, a showrunner, so I will help produce and make sure that it stays in a, a continuity yeah. and on track, which yeah. is something I do on all my films and TV shows. Okay. So, uh, uh, so I will direct some and Emrys will direct some. Oh, really? And, yeah. Yeah. He okay. directed his Cheroo, uh, sorry, I, I don't remember the name of his feature film that he did, but he directed it. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice film. Yeah. He uh, did that with his husband. Yes. Donald. Yep. Who's yeah. just, uh, I love Donald. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's, yeah. He, he just yeah. makes me laugh and uh, he's just a really, really good guy. We're actually going to be, um, uh, for the Idlewild, um, gay pride. They have a gay pride right. of, at the Pines, I believe. Right. And, uh, it's on the 7th, I believe of October and, uh, October 6th, um, they're shooting a TV series that they have called Pride and Prejudice. And it's, uh, all about, uh, gay, uh, important, uh, filmmakers or whatever in history. Right. And so I'm going to be on that talking about my cousin Monty and also just the era of gay actors trying to live in that world of pretending to be straight and playing that whole game. Oh, your cousin was gay, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he wasn't out, right? No. Or was he? You know, I mean, his his friends all knew, you know, just kind of like Rock Hudson, but Rock Hudson was even more out. And I'm going to be talking about Rock Hudson. Oh, yeah. Just because he, uh, uh, Monty was actually incredibly um, jealous of rock because of the way he could get away with so much about being- Back in the day. Yeah. He was just big enough, you know, to where he could kind of make it all work. And uh, uh, my uh, feature that that I've written called Pretty Talk is based loosely on Rock Hudson and Doris Day and uh, all taking place in 67 and uh, and about- what that was like for these people to be older, especially for a woman, and also him being gay. But a woman in the industry was very, very difficult. She had like, it was Nor- uh, Doris Day had a husband who took all her money and left her with nothing. Betty, uh, Debbie Reynolds, or, that was a common thing that happened uh, during that time. Just because they were women? They were women, and they right. weren't allowed uh, uh, their own uh, bank accounts. What? Yes. Good Lord. So you had to give it to your husband or whatever, and, and they had to take care of your money. And they did. And they did. <laughs> wow. So uh, I did- uh, no, that, that's a new one. Yeah. So is this, is the Rock Hudson and Doris Day, is that a documentary? No. A drama, a comedy, what is it? It will be, a will be both of a comedy, it'll be a dramedy. Okay. Uh, it is actually going to go um, of what's really happening, and then it is going to show go back and forth of what the movie, the last movie they made- which I'm calling Pretty Talk. So you're in the movie, and then you see where their life is really. It goes back and forth. And that part is going to be even a musical, which is going to okay. be fun. Wow. Now you haven't written that yet? I have written it. Yeah. So we, we're just- I, I tell you something you have to add in there somewhere, because people don't know what this is. you got to add something about Doris parking. Oh. <laughs> the little thing. Of course, a Doris. Yeah, Doris Day parking. Well, what is Doris parking? Doris, Doris Day, Day parking is that- you 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 kind of wish for Doris Day parking when you're driving up to an right. area that might be filled with a lot of cars, right. and you hope that there's going to be one parking space for you in the perfect place, like right in front right where you're- Right of the most popular restaurant exactly. at lunchtime. Exactly. <laughs> and if that happens, that's Doris Day parking. I wonder if you need the- What, what did she drive a Chrysler with that like, rectangular steering wheel? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you need that. <laughs> yes, because everybody would look at that. And that and not uncommon here in Palm Springs, right. right? To see these fabulous old cars. Well, I think Doris Doris parking is real. I'm sorry. I I agree. I mean, there's another. Uh, um, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that are real that you would think that are fictitious. <laughs> so, what do you like most about what you're doing? I love conjuring up ideas. Uh, I love just the spark of of something that I get excited about. Um, uh, I was never as passionate about what I did as a hair and makeup artist. I actually was just good at what I did. Uh-huh. I was more, I, I'm, I enjoyed people more than I enjoyed actually what I did. 
that I looked at that as work. So you like the connection. And today yeah. it's very different. I'm I'm doing more than just enjoying working with actors. I love working with actors. They're all crazy and I love that. They're yeah. fun, they're different, they're creative. Uh, you just never know what you're going to get when you start, when you hire an actor, you never know where you're going to have to like work with them to get what you want. And I love doing that. And that's what I did as a hair and makeup artist too, because especially I worked with celebrities and so you never knew what you were going to get. And, but I loved that, like, okay, I can, I can figure out how to get to you and what I need to do to get done properly at the end. And I learned that all years ago and I have to do that anytime on a set. I love that part of it. How do you, how do you negotiate all the egos? I think it's it, uh, one of the things is to um, and the sensitive make them creative. think <laughs> that they're not, and like oh, God, it's just so terrible how Jerry over there is the ego on him. Can you imagine? And you're talking to someone who has a real problem, right? Right, right. And they're like, "Oh, I know. It's just yeah, but you, you know, you're great." I'm just so glad that, that you don't you do don't, this. You so you're telling him not to do it <laughs> without being mean. Right. Great. Because it doesn't, you know, you can't, you can't create any kind of ruffles on a set. Everything is tight, quick, moves quickly. And everybody's trying to move and, and work together. And you've got to figure out how to make it all calmly and easily fall into place so that everybody feels safe mm -hmm. so that they can do their job. And that everything's okay. They need to feel like it's constantly, everything is taken care of. And they don't have to worry about anything except coming and doing their job. And that's with everybody on set. It's like, if there's a problem, and it happens all the time. Problems happen all the time. All of a sudden, um, I don't know how many times I've had actors, all of a sudden something happened and they had like something terrible happened and they had they weren't going to be there that day. And I had to figure out all of a sudden a new actor out of nowhere, like just out of the blue. Uh, locations that have felt fallen through. We were supposed to be there at the six in the morning and it's five. And we just found out that we can't shoot there because of this and this and this, these things happen and they don't matter how much money you have either. These things can happen. Right. A, a truck or, or your transportation breaking down or all these kinds of things. These are just normal life things. But when they happen, you got to make sure that everyone thinks that it doesn't matter. It's all cool. We'll figure out something. It's going to be great. And they've got to feel safe entirely so that they can do what they need to do. And then you figure it out. I figure it out. I get all my people involved and we sit there and figure it out and we start uh, as quickly as possible. And, you know, I've always been able to do it. Even if, let's say, I couldn't do, go to that place at 6 a.m. So we figured something out by 4. So we just took everything we were supposed to do at 4 and we moved it up to 6. And we just kind of, you know, moved it around until we could make it work. Right. right. It's that kind of stuff. But that's not normal. That's normal life stuff, right? Things cut in your way. But you just got to figure out how to move right through it. How about regrets? Do you have any? Uh, nothing's coming up. I've worked Wait, so hard. I regret that you didn't cast me in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You know, nothing's really coming up. I'm really... As I said, when I started doing, uh, becoming a, a director, writer, producer, all of that, I fulfilled a lifelong dream that I had tucked away inside. And uh, it's just shocking that the stuff that I do is working. Because you, I think we all have that thing in us, like can't believe that we actually did it. Right. And that it actually people like it and that... You know what I mean? And then you can oh, yeah. continue doing it. We all have that, right? Um, there's a term for it. I can't think of it all the, uh, off the top, but just feeling like eventually I'll find out you don't really know what you're doing. I tell people I don't know what I'm doing all the time, but yet I do it and I do know what I'm doing, you know? Right. But I, I, I do say that. Uh, like when I'm writing a script, I just feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I just like start automatic writing and I just, what's coming out? I just start writing and writing and then I go back to it and fine tune it and fine tune it until it all fits and makes sense. Huh. Every morning I sit for an hour with whatever I'm writing on the next script. And then I go next door. My studio is next door where uh, we shot that scene and uh, my uh, editing suite is there and I sit and I edit for the rest of the day. 
Wow. Which starting Monday, that's all, what I'll be doing till December 1st. I should make some soup and bring it to you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. I would love that. Wow. Yeah. That's so a, how about, um, so you're kind of on the, you're in the independent world as opposed to the big studio thing and the craziness everybody's heard about all the stuff with that. Are you happy that you went the way you went doing the independent thing? Because it actually, I'm guessing it gives you independence, right? It gives me a lot of control. Right, right. Um, I, you know, I do work a lot for Here TV, um, right. which is a small, uh, right. it is a, a company. It is in, in, in the baby version of all of that. Right. They are a company. The wonderful uh, Paul Kalishman and David Milburn, who I work for, John Margiano, the head of the the network. I have a wonderful relationship with all of the, with the three of them. Um, I'm very fortunate because I will uh, give them an idea of something I want to create, which is like when I did uh, Not So Straight in Silver Lake. I had an idea to do this, this, and this. And I, I remember I, I'll just like meet with Paul every once in a while. We'll be going out to dinner. And he says, so what do you got for me? What do you think? And I gave, a, I gave him three ideas. He said, let's check on one. Wow. I said, oh, okay, okay. Uh, I was fortunate. He never, they never even read my scripts. They gave me complete uh, control and vision of, of Not So Straight and Silver Lake. They were a little bit more um, thoughtful on the lair because this was a series that they had done. Uh, Paul Kalishman and David Milburn was a, a little bit more controlling in the fact that they wanted to read the scripts. Well, people would be comparing, right? Exactly, That's because there would be. Yeah. They wanted to make sure that it had elements of the original series or feeling. Right. Uh, it didn't have to be exact. Just just to make sure that there was a feeling, and it was very. It kind of followed a, a template in some ways, and uh, so the, I remember the first episode I sent to him. And he said, well, just make sure at the end you do this. That's about, and then I sent it back to him. He said, yeah, perfect. You know, <laughs> it was, wow. it was that difficult, right? <laughs> wow. Wish you, wish everything could be that way. Oh, right? I know. And I feel very fortunate with my relationship with Here TV. Um, not, of course, everything I do is with Here TV, but, you know, I do have that thing there is what they hire me basically to come in and create a product. That's right. the layer that was uh, not so straight and so like, I have some... I've got a show called Behind the Bar. I have Underground, which is a travel show, and I have a food show called Food Fetish with them as well, which was just going to different uh, restaurants in Los Angeles and talking to the chefs, and they make their special meal. You know, I've, I've asked this question, but it applies to you as well. So have you always been such a slacker? You know, I try not to do uh, too much. I really like to sit around and you know, not think right. about anything. Do you ever sit? Do you ever sit? <laughs> Come on. Although when you're sitting there editing. I'm actually very good about finding a, a, a place in it. A you know, finding, yeah. yeah, I'm very good about like going, okay, I'm too stressed. I'm leaving this room and I'm going to go sit down. I'm going to either turn on some stupid TV or I'm going to make a nice meal and sit there. Or, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I've really learned how to find some balance in it, even though I'm, I work a lot right. and I always, in my industry, you've always got to know what the next thing you're going to do. Right. Or you're sitting there with nothing to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, so I've got the lair. That's all shot. You know, so I better get something to go into the new year. Right. You know, and uh, so uh, they're not 100%, but they're they're a good possibility for already two projects next year. And you who knows? Those three to talk about. So exactly. One, so one can be chosen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They both will be done individually. Trophy Boy is a different thing, and that's from a different company, and that's with uh, that's with uh, uh, Emrys Cooper and Donald in their production company, as well as with another company who will be uh, backing it, and that looks very good. Uh, uh, and Emrys is also going to be in um, Pretty Talk, and he's going to play the Rock Hudson character. Whoa! Yes. Are you leaving him blonde or not? Uh, we will. No, we will get him dark. You will. So he'll be a little bit more like Rock Hudson, even though it's not it's not really Rock Hudson. It's someone like him. It's right. like if I were to combine Montgomery Clift and Rock Hudson and right. a lot of those characters from that era. Right. And, and uh, well, that'll be interesting. He'll probably look good. That way. He, he, yeah, I've seen it. I, yeah. I actually saw it before I said it. You know what I mean? I was like, OK, what, what do you look like? And then uh, he, he in a movie, 
Um, he uh, he actually played Montgomery Clifton short. Oh, did he? And he had the dark hair with the tight tight sides and everything. He looked wow. very handsome and to- totally clean shaven. We, uh, 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 he's actually got a um, a remake of Nosferatu that's going to be coming out next year that he played the uh, Renfield character, at, which is very funny because he's basically in mine kind of playing the Nosferatu character, except gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> wow. Well, we're at the point where I asked my guest a question. Fabulous. So what are some of the things that you live by, just that you can tell my listeners? I would say the most important thing for me to do is try to be as honest as possible and to speak my truth. Make sure that they know where I'm coming from instead of them assuming or make give, getting ideas so that I can fill in. What what do you need to know? Like whatever Whatever is going on, you know, whether... I have an opinion about something and I want to make sure they have it. What, what is their opinion about it? To try to like make sure that it's always even. There is not, no one is bigger or better than somebody else. That's a perception of reality. And we've all got to figure out how to be respectful of whoever and wherever they're coming from. Right. Because we have no idea of all the things that happen to get them where they are. And so I just, I just want to, I just want to stay as, and I have to check myself. I'm human. I've got a lot of garbage in my brain. Wait, you are? Yeah, I know it's difficult <laughs> and it's hard to imagine that I'm human, but it's true. But uh, I think that's 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 a, a really important thing for me. I try very hard to be that. I'm respectful of people, you know? I You can imagine that I get people coming at me all the time. Um, whenever I do things like what I did on, on Thursday and, 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 and they're of all different kinds of people. And some of them are very interesting and (laughs) you have to give them that moment and allow them to say their piece and whatever they have to do and be respectful of them as another human being on this planet. Well, we didn't go down the road and talk about your gay career. <laughs> maybe. So next time you're in Palm Springs, we'll have to come back and hit maybe a more personal side. Sure. I want sure. to hear some of that stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew it would be great, and it was. Well, thank you very much. You're a wonderful human being in your family. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for coming very, in. I appreciate it. Very kind. Thank Thanks. you for having me.